Well, good morning, friends. Yes, 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 man. We are continuing our gathering. And if you are, have not been around Watermark very long, uh, I will remind you, this is a, a gathering of the kingdom of priests. We are a community of pastors. Every single one of us are called, at least, to be, uh, become men and women that in our faithfulness are able to teach, able to encourage, able to disciple, able to reproduce. It's a sign of maturity that you can reproduce. It's a sign of faithfulness that you do what you've been asked to do. And so we gather weekly uh, as the church so that we might remind each other about the greatness of our God and remember how we want to respond to him. And we welcome the whole world in. And so we know there's many of you that are here or listening online that have no idea uh, really what it means to be a Christ follower. And so listen up, because we are uh, paying attention to our King, our Lord, our Savior, who has made every provision for us. We are not trying out. We're not building resumes. We're not trying to be do-gooders so God can love us. We don't believe God loves us because we are good. We believe God is good, and so he loves us and makes provision for our sin. And this is a trustworthy statement of which I'm fully convinced that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. To quote Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, of which he said, I am the foremost of all. This is not a group of people that you walked into that believe they're better than you. We believe we have found the way, the truth, and the life in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is not some secret society. This truth has been heralded from mountaintops for 2,000 years and had been predicted for thousands of years before that that this kind of hope was coming. And so we gather that we might be reminded of the kindness of our God and remember how to respond to him. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I pray today you learn more of him and you want to know him and trust in him as we have. And if you know him, let's lock in. Amen? So we can uh, rightly respond. Let me pray. Father, we are your church. We don't go to church. We are your church. And here we are gathered. And we have invited friends. And we're so glad they're listening. We're so glad they're here. I pray that you would use your word and the truths that we're about to share to make us, Father, more into your image so we can love them in a way that uh, and live our lives with such holy goodness and power and kindness and rightness and dignity and love that they demand an explanation. And I pray that our explanation would be only one thing, and that is you have come to show us who you are, and we have believed, and we are yielding to you and following your way, and the goodness that they see a shadow of in us is fully manifest in you. And I pray, Lord, you'd open the eyes of their heart that they could join us in this family of grace and in this community of faithfulness. Make us that. For the, your glory and for the good of the world and for joy in our own hearts, we pray these things. Amen. Well, we are um, right now corporately choosing to look at 2 Timothy. If you are currently not 
sure how to read your Bible. We've got something called Join the Journey, and we are just wrapping up the book of Numbers, and we're about to move uh, further into the Old Testament on a daily reading plan. Just go to jointhejourney.com, sign up, slap your email in there, and every day you get a short little 300-word devotional explaining a text, lets you read the scripture, questions of application, and there are people waiting for you to click a button, type your question, and personally engage with you. But corporately today, we are making our way through 2 Timothy. And uh, we're looking at this little book, 2 Timothy, as we've reminded ourselves, is uh, the last words of a guy named uh, Paul who wrote, um, you know, uh, nine letters to seven different churches. And then he wrote a book called Philemon, and he wrote three what we call pastoral epistles. None of that matters if you don't know Jesus. Just know this. This is the last words of one of the very um, first faithful followers of Jesus. And he is writing to his disciple, to a guy that learned who Jesus was through him. And he is telling this young man how to be a godly leader in Ephesus. About 250,000 people lived in Ephesus. Uh, it's the fourth largest city in the known world at that time. Rome's bigger, Antioch's bigger. Uh, Alexandria, named after my wife way back then, uh, is bigger. <laughs> and then Ephesus. And it's a happening, cracking city. And Timothy, as I uh, told you last week, was uh, a young man that wasn't really sure of himself. And so uh, he was a bit timid. And Paul is encouraging this young man what to do with his timidity. And basically what he's saying is, I don't care much about your timidity. I just want you to care about the gospel. We today are going to study two verses. And I'm going to tell you why we're going to study these two verses, okay? Because they are the summary of everything that we have studied to this point, and they are the beginning and the seed of everything we will study from here on out. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. By the way, if you're curious, I am. I am insatiably curious. I love to learn. And so um, when the Bible was written, it was, written it, was, it, was, it was not written with chapters and verses. It was about 1551, a guy named uh, Robert Stephanus. He was a French printer. In order to make his Greek New Testament a little bit better seller, and then later the Latin Vulgate took his system and expanded to the whole Bible. And it, and it was about the 16th century when we finally put chapters and verses to our Bible. All right? And so um, we do that so we can turn there. It's just a whole lot easier than just saying, unroll the scroll until you know, this section. It's just... You know, now we have a codex, a book that's put together in this way. And so we can turn to a specific spot in this letter by saying, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So thank you, Robert Stephanus. All right? So here we go. Let's read 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. And he says this, you therefore, and as I said last week, whenever you see therefore, you want to ask yourself, what's it there for? I'll tell you in a second. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's it. That's all we're going to look at, and I'm going to tell you why. So here we go. This is just a visual picture of, uh, of what I was saying, okay? Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 18 is summarized in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, and 2 Timothy 2, 2 is spelled out in 2 Timothy 2, 3, all the way through the end of the book, which I think is, you know, chapter 4, 16-ish, 
all right? So here's the deal. The rest of the time that we are studying this book, you're going to learn what disciples need to do and be and pass on. And that's really important because that's why we're here. Uh, we, when folks become members of the body of Christ, we baptize them into, our, into the, um, uh, well, they, we give them a chance to make an outward testimony of an inward faith. Baptism is not what saves you. Faith in Christ is what saves you. And when you put your faith in Christ's death, burial, submerged in the water, and resurrection to newness of life, uh, you stand before others and you identify with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And as we like to say, tongue-in-cheek, there's a reason when God saves you, we don't just baptize you and hold you under, send you on to glory. Because God wants to leave you here for a purpose. That is really all that chapter one was about. Hey, Timothy, I know you're timid, right? But wait a second, timidity. This ain't about you. And so you, you found in chapter one again and again and again Paul telling his son, he loves him, he's for him. And any father and any pastor and any friend wants somebody to move into the fullness and goodness and purpose and dignity of life that you were shaped for. And that's why I said, I don't want you to come listen to me. I want you to experience what God created you to experience, which is him in all of his kindness and his grace, you don't have to please him and appease him. In fact, you can't. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to find the best of men and women. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We are all sinners. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single person who can submit a resume and have God go, well done, that's good enough. No, we trust in the one who knew no sin, who became sin on our behalf, and that is what we are strong in. Now, let me just follow through here with you with a few things that we need to see in this. So when it says, you therefore, in light of the fact that I wasn't ashamed of the gospel, uh, Jesus wasn't ashamed to serve the Father and bring the gospel to you and die on a cross, I don't want you to be ashamed, Timothy, uh, uh, Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed. He searched for me until he found me. That was chapter one, verses 15 through 18, right? You know, so this is interesting to me, right? Names are, are interesting. Uh, Todd, if you are a fan of Disney, you know in the movie The Fox and the Ham, they call the fox Todd. Now, just so you know, I hate my name. I'm not a big fan of the name Todd, right? Because uh, it's just such a nerd name. I don't know why. Like, Todd, right? It's just like one of those names. It's just like, I've never liked my name, you know? Um, just working it out right here before you in this particular moment, <laughs> right? But I, I, it was encouraging to me, right, uh, that, that when I saw that the word, the name Todd, it's the reason that Disney named the fox in Fox and the Hound Todd is because Foxes are crafty and wise. The name Todd means wise. And foxes are called Todds or wise. And so that's why Disney did that, okay? Uh, Anisophorus means prosperous man or one, if you will, who brings riches, a man who prospers. Do you know? And this is why I am so privileged to teach you today because I want you 
to be like Paul. I want you to be faithful uh, and follow after Jesus, who has the name that's above all names. I want you to learn his ways so that you can receive your full reward. You're not going to be saved because of what you do, but you are going to be judged by what you do. Non-believers who don't have a savior will be judged on their works, and our works are never good enough. And you, who don't want to rely on a savior, God says, fine, come on, bring me your resume. Oh, that won't do, because the standard's perfection, next. And he will grant you what you want is nothing to do with him. And the Bible calls that the outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there's nothing that will ever remind you of the kindness and goodness of God again. But if you've trusted in a Savior and you receive the gift of salvation, you are then a son and a daughter who is a servant, and we will have the opportunity to give an account. That's what it says. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Therefore we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one might be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We will be judged as servants. You need to know that. And it's why I'm saying to you, you therefore, who are alive February, almost March 2021, this is your moment. This is your day. And I don't call you my son. I would say brothers and sisters, Come on, man. In light of the fact that God has called us and saved us and given us the privilege of knowing him, we have a duty, and let's be strong. Now watch. You remember who this book is written to, and I love my Bible because it's just a book that's filled with realism. And um, what's going on here is we've got a guy that is timid, and we might, a lot of us, think, I'm kind of timid. Remember how last week I said, and, and Timothy, by the way, is a pastor. And, and I'm going to remind you, I call this a pastor's conference. Now, because I've known the Lord a little longer, because of what God has done in my life and the way he's gifted me to serve my brothers and sisters, I have an office and a teaching gift that is useful to you, and I want my gift to help. I don't want the reason God gave me a gift is not so you can be impressed with my gift. The reason God gives us gifts is to serve one another. Do you understand that? You have been given a gift. And God gave you that gift to serve and to help other people. And so, you know, people would say, I've got the gift of leadership and you've got the gift of teaching and exhortation. And I want you to excel still more. I want you to be strong. I want you to be like, and it's the force who searches and finds you know, um, others that they can build into and encourage and equip. And you're like, well, Todd, I'm just, not, I'm just not that strong. I'm just not that kind of guy. And I'm just saying, yes, you are. Because it really isn't about you. It's about what God has given you. And what he's given you is not a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love for others, not love for self. And self-discipline. Self-surrender. And it's motivated out of a love for Christ. You're going to see in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, that what Paul's going to do next week, this is a little precursor to next week, what he's going to do is he's going to tell you 
Look, you want to know what a disciple is? He's a teacher, that's verse two, but he's a soldier and he's going to tell you to suffer hardship with him as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all called to do. You're going to see an athlete, you're going to see a farmer, that's what we're studying next week. But let me just tell you something. You are born to go to war. And the weapons of warfare are not um, of this world, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of forces which blind the mind of the unbelieving. And the power that you've been given is the power to have a transformed life that others look at and go, I'll be, you ain't living the way you used to live. Your family loves in a way that I don't, the way you guys get along, that church, it's not just made up of white people. It's not just made up of black people. It's not just made up of Jews or non-Jews. It's not just made of slaves or free men, barbarian or Scythian. And the whole world fights. And yet I see in that church all kinds of diversity and ethnicity. I see both genders, and I see mutual subjection and love. How are you doing that? And you have the power to have a changed life. You also have the power to tell them how your life was changed. And the gospel is what God uses to change people. And you're like a Spartan, all right? And, um, and so Spartans were Greeks that were like go-to Greeks for battle. And when they were fighting uh, Xerxes and the rest of the Persians, and there's just lots of myth about Spartan mothers. Have you ever heard this? Spartan moms are not who you want to go to if you skinned your knee. Okay? Um, Spartan mothers had a phrase that they would use. And they would, because dad was away at war, Spartan mother raised their sons to be warriors. And I got a little Spartan mother in me. And they used to tell their boys at a young age, here's your shield, go to war. Come back with it or on it. But don't you shame me. Don't you be a coward and come back running from war without it. And I'm just, that's what Paul is saying. Timothy had a, had, had a mentor called Paul who had a little Spartan mama in him. And he was just saying, with it or on it, boy, this ain't about you. You are built for the fight. Be strong. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You may as well tell a snail to be fast or a horse to fly as tell Timothy to be strong. And you may feel a lot like Timothy. And you know what? There's, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody saying, kind of getting in here and just giving you a big pep talk and say, be strong. Let's go. You ready? And you might go, all right. And you get out of the locker room because you're in this little you know, room right here with others. And you get outside that door and you go, oh, man, they're big and they're fast. And where's everybody else? And you want to be strong, but you don't feel strong. And it's just so easy to go back in timidity. And so let me encourage you, all right? Um, the Bible is God's word giving to us that we might live skilled lives. And he's given us his word in the context of human language. And so you have to understand human language. And this is where you should have listened when they were diagramming sentences. Now, what age do you diagram sentences? Is that junior high? Is that high school? I don't know. But we all did terrible at it. 
And we didn't pay attention when our teachers were talking to us about perfect tenses and passive tenses and um, how sentences are structured. But here's what you need to know. That word, be strong, it is not a, an imperative command for you. It's not an active verb. It's not something you do. It is a perfect passive verb. What's the passive verb tense? A passive verb is something that happens to you. It shows up. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Watch this. Ephesians 6, 10 gives you a little clue. Uh, the same author writing to the same church as a whole. He's telling everybody, in case you want to opt out and go, I'm not the pastor. So here's the letter to everybody under Timothy. Be strong. Now watch, he spells it out a little bit more here. Actually, he says the same thing. I'll, I'll read it to you in a second. Be strong, watch, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's not your strength, Timothy. It's not your strength, Watermark. Receive what God has given you and be faithful with it. Here he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, here's, here's the active. Paul himself received this, and so this is the verb in Philippians 4.13. Ever heard of that verse before? Paul's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see that? Paul's not saying, I can, I can be faithful in cold and in hot, in want and in plenty, because I'm a disciplined stud. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm a Christian. I decrease, Christ increase. I take up my cross and follow him. He died for me. I live for him. The resurrection power of Christ dwells in me. And when I believe in him, as God said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you should yield to the Holy Spirit and quit looking to go, do I like myself in the mirror? Am I a choleric? Am I an Enneagram 8? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you are a Christ follower. And the question is, are you going to follow him? And each of us are going to follow him according to the grace that he has given us that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to take a little second and just be tender um, this week, I got together our residents. I love being with our residents and our fellows. They are uh, good brothers and sisters, and they are here for a year to be built into so they can go and be faithful where they are. And um, I love just getting to know them a little bit, so I was going around reminding myself of some facts of them. And, and, and the lovely Caitlin Harris, um, who is a resident in our, uh, our Shoreline team, uh, and, and by resident, you know, think, think we call it a residency because they're not interns. These are people that we trust, and they are leading with us in ministry. This is a training and a teaching hospital. When we show up to minister to one another, we don't show up alone. Just like when you're down there at Parkland. It's not the doctor who walks in the room. It's the doctor and the resident. People that have studied to show themselves approved, that have been faithful, and now it's ready to get a little bit of lab in them. And they're going to walk around with an older brother or sister who's going to teach them how to practice caring for people. Those are our residents and our fellows. Caitlin um, had an interesting fact about her. And it's this. 
She won't watch a movie unless she knows how it ends. <laughs> she, there is no such thing as a spoiler alert for Caitlin. Caitlin. Caitlin's philosophy is life has got enough hard stuff in it. Why would I want to watch a movie that leaves me sad? Why would I want to watch a movie that doesn't end the way that I want? I don't want to dwell on negative stories, so tell me the ending. I want to know it's happy, and then I'll sit through whatever happens in the first two hours because I know it's going to be okay. And can I just give you a pro tip? You need to know the end of the movie. If you don't know the end of the movie, you're not going to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna find yourself wanting to fire the screenwriter and the director of your life. Some of you are right now going, this is too much for too long. There's my shield, I'm out. And the problem is, is you're not paying attention. This is so important. Um, Let me just give you another little application here, okay? Uh, When hard times come, when hard times come, people should lose faith in false doctrine, not in the true God. And what I mean by false doctrine is this nonsense that has been taught for way too long that there is health, wealth, and prosperity for those who love Jesus, that as soon as you fall in love with Jesus, your wife's going to get better looking, your kids are going to get better grades, and you're going to lose those nagging last 10 pounds. That's not what happens. My wife, for the record, is getting better looking, all right? But that's not, that's not the point. The point here is that God's going to call you to a life of faithfulness, and God's going to call you to a life that's going to be hard. But it's going to work out for you. You're going to be like, on this fourth, a prosperous man or woman. Why? Because you're going to search for and find what God wants you to do. And you're going to be faithful in it. And you're not going to be ashamed of who your Savior is. And you're going to show yourself approved as a workman who rightly takes what has been entrusted to you and faithfully lives it out everywhere you go. And there's going to be a day when you stand before the Lord to give recompense and you are saved by grace through faith that he's going to say, not only are you saved by grace through faith, but then you took the grace that I gave you that enabled you to continue the ministry and you were faithful with it. Well done. Here's your reward. You are not going to get a reward if you had faithful attendance at church on Sunday. You're going to get a reward if you faithfully tend to your business. And every week what I'm doing is I'm putting a shield back in you and I'm saying, come back with it next Sunday or on it. We'll meet you in the middle of the week and we'll hold up traffic for about 15 minutes and we'll remember you and put you in the dirt and we'll say, well done. And I'm going to tell you that what happens here, and this is, this is what's so important. The false doctrine is that Jesus is going to make your life better. Have you ever had folks say this? Ever since I trusted Christ, things have gotten hard. They haven't gotten better, but it should get better. Because when you know that the piece that gets better is this. Proverbs 22.4, it's not health, wealth, and prosperity, but the reward of humility 
and the fear of the Lord are riches like Onesiphorus, who received his reward on that day, honor. There's a lot of folks in Asia who abandoned me, but not Onesiphorus. That brother did his job, and he had a life. Do you see it? So you don't want to be an individual who, who gets pushed away from the true gospel because somebody sold you a false bill of goods that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. He wants you to be wise. And wise men pour out their life as a drink offering. Wise men imitate Christ and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Wise men and women take up their shield. And they come back to the gathering of the saints with it or on it. Never without it because we are not cowards. You know what I'm doing? I'm just teaching you chapter one all over again. And he summarizes it in chapter two, verse one. All right? Um, this is really important. As I said, that, that idea of being strong, uh, let, me, let me just go back and just touch on this because this, this is important. If you don't know, I said this, if you don't know the end of the movie, you're going to find yourself wanting to fire the screen direct, screenwriter and the director. It's what Peter did, right? And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to take you real quick to Matthew 16. Here's why I want to take you to Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, Peter's just a man. He thinks like a man. Life can't have things I don't understand in it. Even though Jesus had been, in effect, teaching him, hey, don't lean in your own understanding. Listen to me. God said when he, was, um, when he anointed his son um, as as is public or, or anointed his son for the beginning of public ministry. He said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Don't listen to yourself and your own thinking. And so Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, um, you know, after everybody else speculated what everybody else was saying is, I don't want to know what the world says about me. Who do you say that I am? We know that Peter right there um, in verse 16 said, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Can I just say this to you? There's not a single one of us who have ever said Jesus is a Savior. He's coming to the world to save sinners. I need him, and I love him, and I trust him, who did that because we were smart. It was a gift, and God gave it to us. And if you're here today without the gift, God wants to give it to you. And you might say, well, how do I know he gave it to me? The answer is you receive it. You just say, well, I'll be. All this anxiety and stress and turmoil and fear and dissatisfaction in my life is because I've been trying to find health and wealth on my own. And riches and honor and life are with him. And sin has separated me from him. And Jesus is the way back. And so come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. But Peter, now watch, Peter wasn't paying attention. He still wanted to write the movie. He still wanted to direct even the one he just said, you're the Messiah. You are mighty God, eternal Father. You're the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace says, look, here's the deal. I'm going to a cross because I've not yet accomplished what I need to so you can be reconciled to the Father. And I'm here to show you the goodness of the Father. And the Father doesn't just wink at sin. The Father hates sin. And so I, who is one with the Father, and was with him in the beginning, but wasn't him, I'm going to go to a cross. 
and I'm going to do what you can't do. I'm going to pay a debt. And since I don't have sin, I can pay your debt. And since I'm eternal, I can satisfy an eternally holy God. Trust in me. So I'm going to be turned over to the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to come back. This is going to be one of the worst parts of the movie. But trust the screenwriter. What did Peter do? Well, here's what Peter did. God, no, forbid it, Lord, which is hilarious when you think about it and deconstruct it. I'm telling you, my Lord, and you, perfect, loving God, what to do. And Jesus' response was gentle, right? Get behind me, Satan. Only a fool tries to rewrite God's screenplay. That's what Satan's doing. God says, this is good, let me rewrite it. If God let me, I, heard, I read a guy this week, I'm going to butcher the quote, but I read it and it was really good. It was something along the lines, he said, if God let me be God, I would show you all the things that I would do differently. If God let me be as powerful as him, I, it's what he said. If, if God let me be as powerful as he is, I would change many things. But if God let me be as wise as him, I would change nothing. Isn't that great? That's why you're not going to hit edit except when you write sin into a script that God didn't want sin in. And you confess, and you repent, and you get back on script. And you love him as your director. And he just said, God, he said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Whenever you are around anybody in your community or this world that says, God can't want this because it's hard, or God can't want this because it won't make you happy, I wouldn't say get behind me, Satan, okay, unless you're the Messiah because it tends to disrupt relationships. <laughs> but you can communicate the general idea. And you can say, listen, when you say that, you're setting your mind on, I think you love me and you don't want me to experience hardship. But when I do what God wants me to do and I endure suffering with hope, that's not hardship. That's glory. And it's going to produce in me um, the perfection that Christ intends. That's why we counsel biblically. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. All right, gang, you're going to go out there and some of you are going to get beheaded. Some of you are going to lose limbs. Some of you are going to lose friends, more likely. Some of you are going to be called horrible names. Some of you are not going to advance in your career because you are going to come back with your shield or on it. And I'm telling you that this is true about the grace of God, okay? Um, write this down, because I did for you. We don't just depend on Christ for our salvation, but also for our service. And I'm about to launch into chapter, to verse two here, okay? So watch this. When it says be strong in the grace, you don't ever want to stand before God and go, God, I am here and I am strong in my works because works aren't going to work out well for you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God so that no man should boast. It's not your works. You're not going to stand before the Lord 
and be strong, like, look at how good I was, how faithful I was in my marriage, how I tithed, how I, I went to war. You're going to say, I was weak, I was a sinner, I was frail, I tried to decrease so you might increase, and there were great seasons of amazing faithfulness by your kindness, but I don't offer you perfection. I got nothing except Jesus. All right? You with me? So be strong in the grace, knowing that you have peace with God. You have salvation, but watch, you don't just depend on Christ for your salvation. This is the key, Timothy. You depend on Christ. You let him be strong for you in your service. Some of us are out there like, I'm gonna be great for God this week. No, what you wanna say is I'm gonna abide with him because apart from him, I can do nothing. And, and, and our, uh, our hope is that he will produce in us what he intends. Let me take you back, because I'm still in chapter two, verse one. What is chapter two, verse one? Somebody bless me. It's a summary of chapter one. Can somebody just say that so I don't feel like I'm just talking to the dark here, right? What's chapter two, verse one? It's a summary of chapter one. So when I tell you to be strong, let's go back to chapter one. Let's just read one more verse. And in chapter one, we see in, in verse, what is it, 12, I think? Yes. Um, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I made a quick allusion to this. People who uh, exposit, study, take their thinking from the scripture, there's a lot of debate over the years. What did Paul mean when he said that God is able to guard what he's entrusted to him? Does it mean he's not going to lose his salvation? Well, we know the Bible teaches that. Okay? You're not going to lose your salvation because you have put your faith in Jesus and Jesus isn't going to sin, so you're good. But I think, and most guys think, that what he's talking about there is not what you and I see the first time we read it. What he's entrusted to him is that his service will not be in vain. What he's entrusted to him is that he has given me the ability to be what he wants me to be. One of the greatest assurances that you can do something is that God has called you to do it. And so if God's called you to be his ambassador and to be strong, okay, you don't have to be like me. Be like, you don't have to be like Paul. Be Timothy, but be strong as Timothy. Let no one look down, Timothy, on your youthfulness, but in your speech, your conduct, your faith, your life, your purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. Just be you as you follow Jesus and walk in moral virtue. And to your moral virtue, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. And to your self-control, add perseverance. To perseverance, add brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, add love. Let's go. Just be you. And God will let you do what he wants you to do. You're not going to be judged because you don't have the characteristics of Paul. You're going to be judged because you didn't use what God gave you. What did God give Paul? The gospel. What has God given you? The gospel. What has God given Paul? Today. What's he given you? Today. What has God given Paul? A spirit to be faithful with. What has God given you? A spirit to be faithful with. What has God given Paul? A personality to live out to the glory of God. What's God given you? A personality to live out to the glory of God. You don't need to be anybody but you, but you need to go. God's given this to me and it's enough. And I'm going to be strong in the grace of God. So watch this. To Timothy, 
He says now in verse 2, the things which you've heard from me. I want to say this again. Our gospel, we're not a secret society. That's what the Gnostics were. And man, men are such suckers for this, aren't we? Whenever somebody says, hey, man, we're, uh, we've, got some, we've got some inside information. You want the varsity stuff? Come over here. And we're like, what's, what's, what's there? What's behind the velvet robe? What's behind the big curtain? I want to get in there. You aren't lacking anything. God's given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. If anybody tells you the secret stuff is in here, they are false teachers and they are liars. Paul said, you heard this, Timothy. I shouted it in front of everybody. And you be faithful with it. And then he goes on to say, um, entrust these to faithful men. Man, we're going to start talking about next week. I'm going to spell it out for you, okay? What faithful men are, the rest of the book, I'm going to explain this so that you can teach others also. Guys, God wants you and me. We are here to reproduce. The very first command that God gave, God blessed men. And he said, I'm going to let you partner with me. Be fruitful and multiply other individuals. Now watch. The law of creation is creatures reproduce after their kind. And so here's the question. If, if the church was reproduced based on your community group, remember what we say, we're one church, several campuses, thousands of locations, shepherded and taught by you, where you are helping each other be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and each of you uniquely being faithful as you go to war as a mom, as a teacher, as a student, as a business person, faithfully representing the gospel, living with moral virtue and dignity, not letting immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Because less of you, more of him, you abide with him, and he's given you everything you need to be faithful this week. Are you being attentive? You're going to reproduce what you are. I, I, I've said for years around here, that the most important people at Watermark are the next 100 people that come. But I've never said that without saying, and it's because those people are so important that we invest so much in you. Because you're the faithful men and women that are going to carry this forward. Watch this. Jesus gave it to Paul. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2 is, now, Timothy, I gave it to you. Timothy, you give it to faithful people. And faithful people will teach others also. And if it does it well, in 2021, there'll be some yahoos in Dallas and Frisco and watching online. They're going to have the same gospel and the same power and the same opportunity to be just as prosperous as a Misophorus. And their movie will end. Even though there'll be hardship, Timothy, their movie will end well. Amen? Father, build my life. Help me to be more of what you want me to be. Help me to uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do not let me, Father. Do not let us miss our calling and miss our task. Help us to take up our shield this week and be strong and faithful and honorable in all we do. 
We want to take the things which we have heard from you in the presence of many witnesses. It was declared all over today, Father, because somebody was faithful to grab it from Timothy and give it to somebody who gave it to us, and you in your divine sovereignty preserved the word so we could hear from Paul, just like Timothy, so we could be encouraged today, and so that we can teach the faithful individuals, and our location can be a source of glory to you. So, Lord, build our life so we might reproduce faithful ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.